Job's moment of clarity, Elihu's hold my beer moment, and God's mic drop moment. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon. We are uh, pastors at Gospel Community Church here in uh, Santa Cruz, California. So, Mm -hmm. welcome, like, subscribe, comment. What are are we talking about today? Job. Job. The book of Job. 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 Job 314. Yeah, the book of Job comes to a uh, conclusion. It does. And And a very epic conclusion. Spicy. Spicy. A lot of wind, I guess. A lot of wind. A lot of wind. A lot yeah. Of wind. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. a happy ending, right? It, it is. It is a happy ending. Yeah. It is really the ideal happy ending. Yeah. The question is why. Happily, happily ever after. Yes, exactly. Because God will give you everything you want. Preach. If you just, if you preach. just send us preach. $5. No, don't preach that. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's somewhere in there. Uh, so last week we talked about wisdom literature. Yeah. So we're in these five wisdom books, Job, yeah. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. We're not going to be doing Psalms, not yet, because no. that's you know in our daily reading, that's um, actually something you do on the weekends. I know it's very confusing. I think we, but like next summer or something, we could do the Psalms or something like that. Yeah, we could do 150 Psalms in one summer. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll do each one of them. Be great. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do maybe them it'll be shorter. We'll do them sooner or later. Yeah, we're gonna do the whole Bible. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. Bold, bold claim. We're gonna do the whole Bible N- next year's New Testament, Testament right? Yeah, next year we're going to do the New Testament. Awesome. Very cool. That's right. Okay, so what's Job all about? What's Job all about? No, no. Wisdom literature (sighs) is seeking, right, how to apply knowledge, how to live rightly. Um, And the question really is where does wisdom come from? Mm -hmm. We're going to see a lot about wisdom in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Um, There's going to be a lot of practical stuff. Job is really focusing on one question, though, which is where does wisdom come from? Mm -hmm. How do we get wisdom? We, we tend to think of it as a book about suffering. Obviously, that's a huge theme in the book. Job has been inflicted with suffering from Satan by God's permission for no reason. Mm-hmm. So clearly the question of how can God be righteous when people suffer is there. But that question is never answered in the book, as we'll right. see. What is answered very clearly is where does wisdom come from? Mm-hmm. It doesn't come from these human sources, Right, that Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar are looking into. Right, it has to come through a revelation of God. That so I'm kind of spoiling the book for you, but I, I don't want you to miss that. So that's what the book is all about. Where can we gain wisdom through the circumstances of life to understand our circumstances, to know God, and to be able to operate well on this earth? Mm-hmm. So the outline of the book, as we mentioned, it's it's a bunch of logs, prologue. We went through that, the story of Job, how this all comes about, the dialogues that happen which is the bulk of the book. At the end, we're going to see the monologue from God, chapters 38 and following, and then at the very end, we see an epilogue. How does the story conclude? And it concludes beautifully. Yeah. So it's going to be good. So we saw this theme last week of a need for an advocate. Mm-hmm. Job is building this theme of, I need somebody. First of all, I want to go to court before God. Right, play my I case. Want to, yeah, I want to speak to him. But then he's realizing, I can't do that. I'm not strong enough, I'm not wise enough to do that. I need somebody who can stand between me and God, mm-hmm. who can put a hand on us both, can come between us, and can advocate on my behalf. Right. So that's been one theme that's building. And what we've seen is that, that both Job and his friends, to some degree, are off. Right. Uh, Job obviously doesn't sin the same way his friends do, but what we see is uh, the friends are majorly off base, 
because they're saying that Job is is wrong, mm-hmm. but Job is questioning whether God is wrong. Right. He's he's asking that question. Right. So there's there's some concern there as well as to what's going to happen with Job. But let, let's jump into the text. So we're in chapter 15, and we see um, we've seen one round of the speeches. So like I mentioned, there's three different rounds of speeches where they each speak in the same order. So this is the second round. So Eliphaz is going to speak first again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't go into a ton of depth with the, the friend's speeches because they start to become a little repetitive. Right. But Eliphaz has some good, good points in, ch- in chapter 15, verse 14. What is man that he can be pure? Mm-hmm. Or he who is born of a woman, that he can be righteous. This is a similar thing he said before, but you can't be righteous. Job, you must be unrighteous. Mm-hmm. Just admit it. Just just own it. Just right. turn from your sin. And Job's response is is really good. So so chapters sixteen to seventeen are are very very good stuff. A lot of owning happening here. <laughs> Verse two, right? I've heard such. I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. <laughs> Miserable comforters are yeah. you all. Yeah, it's uh, great advice from friends coming to to counsel you, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I had some friends who. Um, did this ministry weekend that where they went down downtown to LA mm-hmm. and they stayed like they slept with the homeless, not like with the homeless, but they slept like on the streets. Mm-hmm. They they basically lived like homeless people for two nights. Mm-hmm. And my friend, he, he was telling me about how cold it was and how he had to find because uh, he had a sleeping bag, but he had to find a bunch of like uh, pieces of newspaper to like stuff into his sleeping bag to mm-hmm. to keep him warm. Mm-hmm. So that was a miserable comforter. Um, these guys are worse. <laughs> yes, okay, are. these guys are these guys are way worse. And then uh, he he doesn't just own them once; he owns them twice. Verse four: I also could speak as you do if you were in my place. <laughs> it's very easy for you to say this when you right. don't have any perspective that I do. Right. So you're just speaking because you're in a place of comfort and you haven't had this happen to you. Yeah, he's lost literally everything but his life. Right. Ah, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And his faith in God is holding on by a thread. Right. So verse verse nineteen, um, he says he starts he's gaining this awareness of what his advocate has to be. He's already mentioned that this advocate, this this one who mediates for him, has to be able to set a hand on God and a hand on on man, mm-hmm. come between the two. But here he says, even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies for me is on high. So he's looking to heaven and saying, that's where my advocate has to be. It seems like he's becoming aware that. God has to be the one mm-hmm. to come between him and God. Doesn't right. make much sense yeah. at this point in the story, but it's very, very interesting. And then, of course, we have we have more ownage in chapter seventeen, verse ten. But you come on again, all of you. I shall not find a wise man among you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> <What's> <laughs> wise? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love it. Uh, chapter nineteen. So I'll, I won't touch on Bildad's speech that much. Uh, chapter nineteen, though, we see some some big theology developing here. As and this is one of the most famous uh, passages in the whole book, mm-hmm. chapter nineteen, verses twenty-five to twenty-seven. Right. He's he's speaking about how how grieved he is and how desperate he is, and he says in verse twenty-five, "I know that my redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, mm. whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold." And not another, my heart faints within me. Hmm. Another incredible statement here. He's he's combining. We saw last week this idea of resurrection and the idea of this advocate, mm-hmm. this one who can come between. 
now we see these ideas kind of coming together right. in this passage. So he's speaking of a redeemer, a different word now, very familiar word from the book of Ruth. Right. So Boaz was a redeemer, right. someone, who, redeemer so. yeah, someone right. who brings back wealth to, to your family, name, reputation, all that. But it's also a big word in Exodus, right? God yeah. redeems his people. He purchased them out of slavery, out of their, their horrible condition they were in. Mm-hmm. And he's saying there has to be someone who can redeem me can fix this situation, mm-hmm. and he says that even after I've died, I will in the flesh see God. Yes. So we're seeing this identity of this this person, this vague person that has to be there in Job's understanding. It has to be there to to fix this, to vindicate God's righteousness, to show that God cares about him, right? right? Just to show this this relationship they have. He needs a redeemer who's for him, who can't die, mm-hmm. or he's indestructible. And who has the power to rescue him? He's all of those things, right. and so again, it's becoming clearer and clearer that the redeemer that that Job needs has to be divine. Right, it has to be God. So, so that's just one big thing we see throughout the book. So, be, be noticing that as you read. Now, the friends' speeches are going to get shorter and shorter, and eventually they disappear by the end. We're actually missing Zophar's third speech. Hmm. He doesn't make it. So that the idea here is they're running out of things to say. These last round of speeches actually are just very repetitive. Right. So Zophar, he gives another speech um, in chapter 20. Uh, in chapter 22, Eliphaz gives his third speech. We see the third round coming in. Mm-hmm. And he starts to really throw some some stones at Job, if he hasn't already. Um, he says, verse chapter 22, verse 5, he, he goes on this tirade of, he says, is, your, is not your evil abundant? There's no end to your iniquities. He goes into like these specific things he's done. Like you sent widows away empty. You crushed orphans. You like he's just <laughs> listing all these things that are completely baseless. Right. So it's becoming worse and worse. And then his his charge in tw- verse 23 or chapter, 20, chapter 22 is if you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. Uh, so you just have to stop being evil. And Job is getting very frustrated with this, right? <laughs> uh, understandably. Because he's done nothing wrong, so he's he's continually arguing past his friends and toward God, hmm. right? God can vindicate me. God knows that I'm righteous, um, and so he's calling for that in chapter twenty three. He's saying, I-, "I need I need God to vindicate me." Uh, verse ten, right? He he points to the fact that he understands that God's going to bring him out of this. He trusts that. Verse ten, when he has tried me. I shall come out as gold. Yeah. I'm going to be refined by this. And then he points to God's ways being unchangeable, verses 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. He is unchangeable. Who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does, for he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. So he's expressing his trust in God, even as he's in a, in a lot of despair. Right. Then Bildad gives his third speech, which is you know, five verses. <laughs> so he's really running out of steam. And like we said, Zophar never really says anything to finish the book. Right. So it seems to be the similar, they're just saying similar things and, you know, just in some less but more intense ways, you know, less yeah. content, more intense ways, you know. Yeah, we could obviously dig into it a lot, but for the time we have, it's probably not the most profitable thing. No. So what we see at the toward the end of Job speaking in chapters 26, 27, we see him focusing on God's majesty mm-hmm. and his own. Uh, he's basically saying, "I won't confess if I didn't do things that are wrong." Right. He keeps going back to that. I'm not going to confess for a crime I didn't commit. Right. But he also talks about God's majesty, and there's a really famous verse here as well, twenty six fourteen. 
he's speaking of the the power of God and all that God does. And he says, behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways and how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? Mm -hmm. So all the things we see, he understands that all the things we see on this earth are just a whisper, a faint whisper of who God is. Mm -hmm. They're not him shouting yet. Right. So, so Job is pointing to this. He's pointing to his own innocence. And then actually in chapters 29 to 31, he's making a really long case for why he's a good person, listing specific things he's done to kind of counter what he'd been accused of by Eliphaz. Right. This is what I've done for the widows. This is how I've been pure. This is how I've been generous, righteous. Mm-hmm. So, th- so those two sections for chapters 26, 27, and 29 to 31 frame chapter 28, right. which is a really key chapter. And it's easy, I think, to, to not notice chapter 28, to not mm-hmm. think on it very much. But chapter 28 is one of the more incredible and underrated chapters in the Bible because it plays a really central role in the argument of Job. Mm-hmm. We always think of the speech from God, which right. is which is also, you know, obviously the the capstone of the whole book. But this is at the heart of the the book. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because Job, you know, later he's right after this he's going to be kind of depressed and sad again. Right. But here he has this, I mean, really lofty poem about wisdom. Hmm. And we said this book is all about wisdom. How can we get wisdom? And so there's this poem at the middle of it that's all about that. It's all about how do we get wisdom. So the first 11 verses of the chapter are all about mining. You know, there's, a, there's a place where you can mine these riches from the earth, where you can discover these things, right? But the question is, where is wisdom found? Verse, verse 12, where shall wisdom be found? Yeah. Where is the place of understanding? Mm-hmm. So you're saying men have discovered so many amazing things. There's so much so many riches in the world, but where do you find wisdom? Right. Wisdom, it's beyond discovery, verses 13 and 14, right? Man doesn't know its worth. It's not found in the land of living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. You can't just go somewhere to find it. So it's beyond discovery. It's beyond purchase too, verse 15. It cannot be bought for gold and silver cannot be weighed as its price. Mm -hmm. And it's not only that, but it's beyond value, Right. right? It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it. So it's beyond reach in every sense of the word, it seems like. Right. So again, the question, verse 20, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? There's, there's nowhere in this realm or beyond where you can just access wisdom. Right. So this is, I mean, this really is the the central question of the book. How do we understand? Yes, how do we understand God's, the suffering that God's allowed to come in Job's life? But mm-hmm. that's a question of wisdom. Right. And that's really the question of the whole Bible. Right. And it's a question of why you need the Bible. Where does wisdom come? How do you live a good life? Right. And well, the answer is given. Yeah, 23. Oh. God understands the way to it. He knows its place. God, wisdom comes from God. He has it and he gives access to it. Mm-hmm. And verse 28, so critical, so important in the entire wisdom catalog in it's the repeat, Bible. It's repeated all the time. Right? Yeah. yeah, verse 28 of chapter 28. He said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Hmm. That's exactly what's repeated in Proverbs 1.7. Several times it's repeated in Proverbs. This is the heart of all wisdom. Right. Fear God, turn from evil. So Job is is tapping into 
what wisdom is all about, where mm-hmm. it comes from, and why we need revelation. So if God is the one who has wisdom, mm-hmm. if it's something that, that belongs to him and he gives it as he wills, then we need a revelation from God if we want to understand our lives. Right. If we want to live the right way, we have to have God reveal those things to us. Mm-hmm. And that's what Job needs. He doesn't understand his situation because God has kept crucial, vital information from him. Right. His friends would be right in a lot of circumstances, but they're wrong here mm-hmm. because they don't have revelation from God. So mm-hmm. this is the, the, the heart of the book. It really is. Right. So so that's chapter 28. Really important. Read through it again if, you, if you've already read through it and, uh, and meditate on this. Man, what a great, what a great chapter. Then we have Elihu come along. And Elihu <laughs> says, <laughs> hold my beer. Hold my beer moment. Yeah, yeah, this is the hold my beer speech, right? So <laughs> as we see in, in these, these dialogues, Job's friends are losing steam. They don't have the answers. They can't figure this out. And so they're smart enough to know we should kind of back off here. Right. We can't respond to Job. We can't give him a satisfactory answer. Mm-hmm. But Elihu says... That's exactly when I want to step in, right. and I'm going to answer all these things. So he says, "Hold my beer." <laughs> well, I, I'm just going to I'm going to put Job in his place, and he gives a very long discourse. <laughs> that is, it is very impressive. Yeah, you know, I remember, I remember, uh, you know, as a kid, and even you know, in college and stuff, reading Elihu's speech and thinking, "Does Elihu get it right?" Mm-hmm. He's kind of the one who comes before God, so maybe he's setting up for God in the sense that he's bringing insight that is lacking. Mm-hmm. But the more I've read it, the more I think Elihu's speech is here because you know human. It's showing that human wisdom has been tapped out. Right. Elihu's going to give his best try at this, and he's very eloquent. He says some. He has some really amazing statements in his in his speech, but he still can't figure this out. Human wisdom right. has been completely exhausted right. by the time that Elihu is done with this mm-hmm. diatribe. Yep. And that's the whole idea: is that human wisdom cannot answer these questions. Right. They need a revelation from God, as we've said. So that leads us to the high point of the book, the the capstone, as I said, which is this speech from God starting in chapter 38. And it is, it is good. So Job had wanted to speak with God, and now he has an opportunity. God actually appears to him. God takes center stage and begins to gives Job a chance to speak and then he starts to speak. Yeah. Right. So he he's gonna question him. Really the whole thing is God questioning him, mm-hmm. demanding an answer. Yeah, so he's gonna allow him to speak, but he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna give a monologue first. So God comes in the storm. Uh, we see in, in chapter thirty eight, verse one, mm-hmm. he comes in the whirlwind. Not a good sign. Just in terms of places in scripture, we see that the whirlwind is often associated with God's judgment, right. the storm and all that. But the, the point of God's speech seems to be twofold. It seems to be to expose Job's lack of wisdom, mm-hmm. but also to point to the fullness of God's wisdom. Yeah, exactly. That seems to be the basic idea here. Again, there's never a direct answer given to why Job is suffering. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, ha- we have to look tells elsewhere him about, in scripture. He never tells him you know, about the... The narrative at the beginning of Job, right? Sin yeah. And, yeah. Of God. He never knows. Yeah, we don't know who who knew that, who figured that out or whatever, but yeah. that obviously was given by revelation itself. But um, yeah, so he's exposing Job for who he is. And Job, at the end, will will show that he does have wisdom by accepting what God says, mm-hmm. by fearing God, yeah, which repenting. at its heart is to say, yeah. yeah, God is big and I'm small, so what God says goes. Mm-hmm. 
that's just a, like a fundamental thing for Christians that we've abandoned, it seems like, yeah. as we've been questioning God's word continually. But so, so let's, let's look into it. So um, we, see, we see, first of all, that the idea here in chapter 38 and 39 is that God is the creator and sustainer. So he's, he starts off, right? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Yeah. Tell me if you have understanding. What, what were you doing when I was creating the earth? Yeah. Do you do you have the power and wisdom that went into that? And just, yeah. Do you have Do you have any answer to that? Um, you know, have you entered into the springs of the sea? Verse sixteen, or walked in the recesses of the the deep? Where is the way to the dwelling of light? Where is the place of darkness? He's speaking to the different elements of creation and asking for an answer. I love ones like you know, Job is obviously someone that understands. Like you know, he's a wealthy man. He he has owned a lot in his life, so he understands the accumulation of wealth and stuff. Yeah. It's like, have you entered the storehouses of snow that I have? Uh, have you seen the storehouses of hail which I have reserved for the time of trouble, like for the day of battle? Like you know, yeah. God, it's not about all the armies of man. Don't compare to his storehouses of arms. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And you know, he says, verse thirty-six. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Right. Who can number the clouds by wisdom? He's challenging Job's wisdom, which again is what the whole book is about. He goes on to talk about his sustenance of creation. Mm. Right. Do you can you hunt the prey for the lion mm-hmm. or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Right. Chapter thirty nine, verse one. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do it's, you observe the calving of the does? Yeah, it seems pretty comprehensive. Mm-hmm. All these questions, you know, from from the big things of creation in the world down to the small interactions of of life, and you know, the just the habits of animals. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, God saying, detail. I am in control of all that. Yeah, the the scope and, and like the depth to which he understands his creation, mm-hmm. big scale and small, absolutely. Chapter thirty nine, verse nineteen. Do you give the horse his might, or do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you, he goes into all this detail about his creation. That's what he's doing again and again and again, and so. Job responds to that first speech. Well, sorry, God God sums up, right? Verse Chapter 40, verse 2, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. <laughs> how, how are you going to find fault with God? How are you going to argue with God? That's yeah. the question. And Job's response is great. It is great. Job's response in chapter 40, verse 3, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Hmm. I, I'm not going to question God. Man, this this has been so important in shaping my theology. Mm-hmm. The book of Job and this big idea of God, when God questions us, when God puts us to the test, we can't answer. Mm-hmm. That that we do depend on God's word fully, mm-hmm. and I, like I said, I think it's really missing from from Christianity. We we look at God's word and we're constantly critical of it. Right. I don't I don't think that doesn't mean we we, we can't be thoughtful and ask questions. Right. Mm-hmm. I, we need to be. Right. But we need to accept that God's word is God's word. Yeah. If we call ourselves Christians, this is, this is where our hope lies. We have to accept that He knows what we don't know. And he knows what's best. He, that by definition, we're humans. We cannot know what we need to know in order to have ultimate wisdom. We can't. But exactly. I think what you're saying is totally true. We think we can. The church does end up being like Job's friend sometimes. Like we know all these truths and stuff like that, but 
we're not ultimately trusting in what God has already said to us. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah, we're, we 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 listen to the serpent's voice, right? Did mm-hmm. God actually say? And we we tear apart God's word, and we say, ah, well, I don't, you know, I don't take that as like literal, right? right. So that's how we you excuse it, right? Oh, I'm going to be literal about that, right? Um, but it's God's word is either true or it's false, right? If it's tr- if it's false, then don't even bother with it, right? Why, I mean. Why would you trust the words of Christ if the words he's quoting from Old Testament are not true? Mm-hmm. So just throw it all away. But if it's true, then it has to all be true. And it right. doesn't come down to what you feel or even what you think. It comes down to what God's word says. That's what Job understands. Like okay. his response is very countercultural. Yeah. Oh, well, imagine if Job just went by how he felt this whole story. Yeah. He would be worse than his friends. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And you can see a little bit of his of his feeling coming out and his depression and stuff like that when he blows up every once in a while, you know? Yeah. But yeah, thank the Lord he trusts God. He Absolutely. actually is he actually is righteous. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. One of my favorite quotes I've quoted a few times in sermons now, but Hudson Taylor's quote, the famous missionary, he said there are three truths. First, that there is a God. Second, that he has spoken to us in the Bible. Third, that he means what he says. Right. That, that's I, I I love that right. If there's a God, He's spoken to us, and He means what He says. Mm-hmm. We often forget that third part. God means what He says. Right. But God's God's not done. So Job, you know, oh man, I I can't say anything more to God. Mm-hmm. But God's not done. Right? God right. God says, verse seven, dress for action like a man. I will question you. You make it known to me. He said, I'm not done. <laughs> I understand that you realize now that you're 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 in the wrong. But I'm I'm not done yet. Right. I'm going to keep going. And he he asks Job a bunch more questions, continues to grill him, continues to demand an answer from him. Um, and he, verse fourteen, right of chapter forty, says, you know, basically answer me these questions. Then I then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Mm-hmm. You don't have the strength. You need to look to God. And he ends his speech, strangely enough, with a, with a picture of Leviathan. So yeah, the, he's talking about Leviathan. And Leviathan, there's, there's a lot we could say about this, but I, I really believe that the idea here is Leviathan points us to Satan. Mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of talk. I mean, he's, he's a dragon, clearly. He breathes fire and all this. Oh. So is this a literal animal? Very well could be a literal animal that fits this description at some point in human history or mm-hmm. in, in the history of the world. Um, I I, we don't necessarily have that available. <laughs> um, there are dinosaurs, which are kind of a lot like dragons. The but behemoth is a little more understandable. Behemoth, you're like, oh, maybe like elephant with a really fat tail. Yeah. But but Leviathan, um, this is this is clearly a picture of Satan. So throughout the Bible, Satan is a serpent. Um, he's described as Leviathan as and dragon. as the dragon no. in Revelation. Right. So he fits the bill. So there's there's there's. Pretty clear connections of Leviathan mm-hmm. and this dragon to Satan, other places in Scripture. But the idea is, I think that he's pointing to, is that God creates and controls Satan himself. Mm. So really, we the, the book is coming full circle right. to where God at the end here is saying, I even control this force of evil. Mm. Leviathan would definitely be understood in the in this period of time as a an evil force. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, you know, outside of the na- natural realm is kind of the idea. So yeah, something to be feared. Yeah. No. So God is in control even of that, which which for us again points us to how this story happened. God allowed Satan to do something in His control, in His sovereignty, that is for our ultimate good, and that we get to 
learn about the story, but it's also for Job's ultimate good. Mm-hmm. I mean, Job's going to understand God better, and he's going to be able to glorify him through his suffering. So, yeah, there's more we can say about that, obviously. I'm yeah. sure lots I don't of think people are like, oh, you're a heretic for saying that. No, I don't, I don't think it's too surprising, too, considering the story starts with Satan. You yeah. know? So. so chapter 42, we have the ending here. And, and again, Job's response, which is just so good, his submission to God in verse chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things, that no pur- purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Mm-hmm. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. He's quoting back God's words there. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Mm. Amazing, amazing. He understands his limits. He understands he's not in control. All of, what, all of that goes against our way of thinking in, a, in the modern world, right? Which is right. elevate yourself and your feelings and your thoughts above every, everyone else. Mm-hmm. Job is, is submitting to God and he's saying, I had heard of you, I knew about you, but now I've experienced you. Mm-hmm. And that experience changes everything. Yeah, This is unlocking the door to wisdom, right. to encounter God, to hear his word. So I, th- I thought a lot about you know a, a, a story, an anecdote I've shared a lot but uh, you know, a historian was talking about the debates between Luther and Erasmus, mm-hmm. and and the idea of free will and predestination, and Luther taking the predestination side, and Erasmus taking more of the, the free will side. And he summed up their entire argument by saying that Erasmus's argument was essentially, "Why won't you let God be good?" Mm-hmm. And Luther's response to that was essentially, "Why won't you let God be God?" Right. And that's very important for us. We're not getting that much into predestination today, obviously, but we have to let God be God. Mm-hmm. We always want to make God good by our definition, right? but instead we need to let God speak, let him be the authority, hear him on his own terms, and accept that. That's right. faith. right? So that's what I think th- this book is, is all about. Yeah. Fear God. How does the gospel connect to it? Well, first of all, we gotta we gotta finish the book here. Oh, so, that's right. We have one more chapter. Yeah, it ends with God putting his friends in their place, rebuking his friends. Right. God giving him his family. Well, his different family. <laughs> the other rest in peace. Come. Yeah. Not resurrected. Uh, <laughs> so. And and all his wealth and his possessions are back. Happy ending. And Joe, God gives Job long life. Yeah. So he ends with all the things that he had lost and more. Right. And and God invites. He basically says, "My anger is against your friends." Right. Verse seven. My anger burns against you, um, Eliphaz and, and his two friends. And so, he, so what he says is, Job needs to intercede for you. Yeah. And so Job intercedes for his friends. He, he prays for his friends, and God accepts that prayer on behalf of the friends who had sinned. Yeah. So that's how, that's how the book ends, and it ends with this picture of just his incredible blessing and wealth at the very end. So Job found favor with God. Right, um, because you know he didn't he didn't curse God, and when God spoke to him and revealed his 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 wrongdoing, Job responded in faith, mm-hmm. and he's given this opportunity to intercede for his friends. So Job isn't perfect in this book. Right, I think we could say that Job does sin in a lot of things that he says about God. Mm-hmm. Maybe people disagree with that, but I, I mean, I think when he's questioning God, he's challenging God, all these things. I think there's there's some sin happening there. That's why God rebukes him. Right, uh, God wouldn't rebuke him if there wasn't some sort of sin there, but. 
but he's responding in faith to God and understanding what wisdom is all about. Yeah, amen. Yeah, he's not, he's not he's righteous. He's not perfect, right? So, yeah. Well. Yeah. How does the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, so we see the story. Yeah, so we see the I mean, the idea of suffering is obviously such a big theme in Job, but it's a big theme in all of scripture. Right. And suffering culminates in the sacrifice of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus is the true Job. Mm-hmm. He's the the truly innocent sufferer. So Job, he, again, his friends had some something to say there that Job had done things that were wrong in his life. No one hasn't, right? But Jesus Christ is the only one who's lived a flawless, perfect life, right? So Job, so Christ is the true sufferer. He goes into suffering not like Job did, which was outside of his control. But Jesus goes into it willingly, right? He accepts suffering on our behalf, and he he provides for us the answer to the problem of suffering, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that Christ faced suffering on our behalf, took our suffering so that we could one day have a life without suffering. Yeah. So that just that theme of suffering is so big. And actually during the early church, they they used to read the book of Job during Passion Week mm. because they saw that connection. They understood that Job pointed to the ultimate reality that Christ would resolve. Right. Someone who would not just lay a hand between us and God, but would actually come in into our position, suffer on our behalf right. in order to do that work, to yeah. redeem us and to mediate for us. And then, of course, we see this at the end that Job, he's, he's the suffering the sufferer that actually intercedes for his friends at the end. Mm-hmm. He's used by God to bring God's favor back to his friends, and that's right. who Christ is for us. He's the one who suffers, but also intercedes for us. Right. And, and allows God's grace to come into our lives by his work. Well, amen. Yeah. Seek God, seek his wisdom, fear the Lord, and uh, trust him even when circumstances are not the way they should be. Yeah. Job's great, man. Great book. Oh, it's awesome. If you ever have any questions about anything we're going over, you can always uh, comment or message us. We're always happy to talk and answer more stuff. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week.